Well, good evening. We're thankful that you're here this evening. As some of you have your outline in front of you and know already, we're going to be talking about that song in our next few moments together. So if you've got enough room next to you and want to keep the songbook open, that is certainly all right. Uh, we'll be talking about some points from this song. Um, but at the same time, when we make to some of the personal application for ourselves, we will be looking at some passages as well. And we'll look forward to doing this together this evening. Uh, some of you heard us talking before, just to share an update. Uh, the young people were supposed to be back tonight and had uh, a small accident on the way home. What it was, they hit a pothole going down the interstate and think it might have messed up the radiator. So they've been stranded on the side of the road, of course, safely with all their proper gear out uh, behind the bus and everything. And I think even a, a trooper pulled over and uh, sat behind them there with the lights going a little bit uh, and of course they have been rescued now by Missy and William so uh, they should be on their way back. So I told somebody before we're, we're gonna have to wait on them so the way I see it I can preach until they get back or we can do this once and take a break and come back and do it again in a few minutes. I don't know so we'll see how it goes here in the next few minutes but they are, are all okay and we'll be back with us again soon. Those things happen sometimes and I'll brag on Cody for just a moment. Uh, we were here Tuesday night after we fed the McCulley family, uh, the f uh, food after the funeral, we were getting ready to leave the building, went outside, and there were Cody and William poking and prodding around the bus. But they were looking to make sure all the lights worked. They had all the gear they needed, the flares, the things on the side of the road. They were making sure a fire extinguisher, all of that. So uh, we appreciate our elders uh, finding someone and Cody and Santana being willing to work with our young people that he's uh, very responsible and willing to take a look at those kinds of things because you never know when you'll need it. And uh, certainly this afternoon, they've had a bit of an adventure, but we're looking forward to be to them being home again with us soon. Uh, we had a pretty good crowd this morning, and it was interesting uh, with several visitors. We knew we'd have a lot of our own folks gone, um, but we're thankful that you're here and look forward to those who've been away from us being back soon. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about some uh, uh, one particular song. This came out of a series that I had done um, at Lake Hills on Sunday nights. We looked at 12, just one a month, kind of a monthly series as we do in several different things um, because I think it's important that we think about the words of the songs and we're going to do that tonight but it's also interesting as some of you are full aware of that the idea that sometimes the songs that we sing come from an interesting place I remember as I was at Fried Hardeman um, taking a song leading class, uh, my freshman year took a, a song leading class. Um, the, the person who taught that class, you know, we had to do some research. We had to look at some of those um, different stories behind the songs and why they were written and who wrote them. And so I think it's very encouraging not only to make application as we'll do, but to think about where these songs came from because oftentimes it's got a story or an application behind it from the very beginning that is encouraging for us to consider. So our song tonight is one that is titled Rescue the Perishing. Uh, this is uh, uh, written by a woman uh, named Fanny J. Crosby and it is a name that you are probably very familiar with. Uh, Fanny Crosby is recognized and some of this is just through research and things as uh, having written some 8,000 songs during her lifetime. She was born in March of 1820. That's 1820 was when she was born. And the interesting story behind Mrs. Crosby is that when she was six weeks old, and she was born in New York and spent a lot of time um, around the Northeast, but when she was born, uh, she developed uh, or just started crying, I guess, was uh, very upset as a baby in 1820. Uh, and the doctor, the town doctor, was out of town, and so they were trying to figure out what to do. Found someone who, I don't know the full story, but had some sort of, I guess, background or reason to offer up something. And this particular person uh, suggested that they put on her eyes a hot mustard 
poultice, I guess, if you will. And she continued to cry, and the person said, well, this must be working, so let's leave it on for the prescribed amount of time. And, of course, what, re what resulted was she was blinded for the rest of her life. 8,000 hymns uh, being blinded for her whole life. In fact, it's interesting, depending on the different places that you look at some of her story, um, several folks said that they believe that many of her songs were inspired by that, of course. One of the songs that she wrote was, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. Some of you are familiar with that song. The idea of being led by the Savior. Many of her songs touched on this idea of not having eyesight. If you look at our songbook, and we won't have time to do that tonight, of course, uh, together, but there are at least 30 songs in this particular uh, hymn book or songbook that is attributed to uh, Fanny J. Crosby. Some that you know very well, Blessed Assurance, one of my favorites, Sing On, or as we sing the words, Sing On, Ye Joyful Pilgrims, uh, and To God Be the Glory, another one of my favorite songs, all attributed to Fanny J. Crosby and the work that she did in writing hymns. Now, I don't know how much you know about music and those kinds of things, but as you look at the song, if you happen to have your songbook open there, the music for this particular one, Rescue the Perishing, is attributed to someone else. She did not uh, always write all the lyrics and have all the, the notes in the song, the, the melody together, uh, but she was very uh, prolific at writing. The particular song we're going to talk about tonight, if you've got uh, your outline in front of you there, I put uh, for you to help fill out a blank about the New York Bow Bowery Mission. Mrs. Crosby was well known for the work that she would do and the communities that she was involved with, including the Bowery area of New York. And in particular, she would go and serve at these things and at these missions and try to help people as best as she could. And in particular, this New York Bowery mission where she was from, this area, the story goes that the song, Rescue the Perishing, came from this particular place. And I'll just have to read some of this for you and, and work through the story that goes along with it. This is written, uh, someone recorded this from her telling of it, I believe. It says, it was written in the year 1869 when I was 49 years old. Many of my hymns were written after experiences in New York mission work, and this one was thus written. I was addressing a large company of working men one hot summer evening when the thought kept forcing itself on my mind that some mother's boy must be rescued that night or not at all. So I made a pressing plea that if there was a boy present who had wandered from his mother's home and teaching, he would come to me at the close of the service. A young man of 18 came forward and said, did you mean me? I promised my mother to meet her in heaven, but I, as I am now living, that will be impossible. We prayed for him and he finally arose with a new light in his eyes and exclaimed in triumph, now I can meet my mother in heaven for I have found God. A few days before this Mr. Doan that's listed in the songbook there, the musical composer had sent me the subject, Rescue the Perishing. And while I sat there that evening, the line came to me, Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying. I could think of nothing else that night. When I arrived home, I went to work on the hymn at once. And before I retired, it was ready for the melody. The next day, my song was written out and forwarded to Mr. Doan, who wrote the beautiful and touching music as it now stands to my hymn. Now, I found that story in several different places, again, trying to, to do enough research to look at these things, but a couple of different places, there was a little bit more to the story. It says, in November of 1903, I went to Lynn, Massachusetts to speak before the Young Men's Christian Association. I told them the incident that led me to write Rescue the Perishing, as I have just related it. 
After meeting a large number of men shook hands with me, and among them was a man who seemed to be deeply moved. You may imagine my surprise when he said, Miss Crosby, I was the boy who told you more than 35 years ago that I had wandered from my mother's God. The evening that you spoke at the mission, I sought and found peace, and I've tried to live a consistent Christian life ever since. If we never meet again on earth, we will meet up yonder. And as he said this, he raised my hand to his lips, and before I had recovered from my surprise, he had gone. And remains to this day a nameless friend who touched a deep chord of sympathy in my heart. Well, that's an interesting story in and of itself. That someone would have that kind of care to go and do that kind of work. Now, we're going to talk about that in just a minute for ourselves. But certainly that's part of our purpose as well to meet physical needs for people and it seems that miss crosby although i would assume from some of the things i read uh may not believe all that the bible teaches on salvation she was interested in trying to reach others with the encouraging message of jesus that, that there is hope in this world more hope than sometimes the day-to-day -day, uh, things that we go through and the things that tend to get us down and so through her work, we now have this song that is very familiar to us. And I think even this evening that there are three lessons in particular that we can take from it and apply to our lives. Number one, the first one is, I believe this song reminds us of Jesus's purpose and our purpose. Jesus's purpose and our purpose. You're familiar with Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, uh, as Jesus has just met Zacchaeus. And called him down from that sycamore tree. And he is encouraging Zacchaeus with these words. And beginning in verse number 9, he says, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has done what? Has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's one of those statements that I believe that Jesus means in the moment. That I think he means it exactly right then and there. He has come to seek and to save the lost. But certainly when we think about the big picture of things. When we think about why God would come down in the form of man. You think about sometimes how things are, are dirty. Things we might even consider beneath us. And we don't want to get down to that level. If ever, if ever anybody could have said that. It would be the Godhead. It would be God the Father and God the Spirit. And certainly God the Son. They would say, why would I go down to earth? Why would I go to mankind with all the filthiness and dirtiness that is there? But Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. It is his purpose and it should be our purpose as well. Seeking and saving those things, those people, those souls who are lost. When I look around this room and all of you that I've come to know, many of you, your story, and when you might have become a Christian, and the ups and downs that you might have gone through in your lives, we all understand that there are people who are lost, who are seriously lost and seriously struggling, and some people who just can't seem to put their finger on the answer to the troubles of life. We have that answer. We have the key, and we need to seek and to save that which was lost. In Luke chapter 14, in verse number 23, when Jesus is telling the parable of the great supper. Do you remember what he says at the end of that? As we talk about those who make excuses earlier, including verse number 18, those who would make excuses about why they won't come, why they would put off to another day what they know they need to do. And it come down into verse number 23, the master is speaking to the servant and the master says, go out into the highways and hedges 
and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. The highways and the byways, the version you're looking at may say something a little different there. Um, But yes, we should go into all places, into all the world. Uh, God be willing, next Sunday morning we're going to talk about uh, some of our uh, facts and figures. We did this lesson last year in regards to what we talk about next Saturday morning with our men's meeting. Uh, And one of the things we do and and have done, I think the congregation has done here for years, is talk about the mission work a little more during that time. And so we'll touch on those things. We've got folks who are going, but what about us? Is it our purpose as well? That we would be seeking and saving those who are lost. Think about the song for just a moment there. The first verse says, duty demands it. Uh, Or excuse me, not the first verse there. But as we we sing uh, through that song, we think about the fact it's the last verse. That our duty demands it. Well, what are we talking about? Well, we understand that word, of course, to be a responsibility. It is our responsibility, something that we should do. Going out and helping rescue those who are lost. When we think about this first point, is that our purpose? Is that our goal? Do we wake up each morning with that being something that we're after? I understand that it may not be the first thing that we do every single morning. It may be someone that we are wanting to talk to and maybe they're not our first call every morning. But is it really foundational to who we are each and every day of our lives? Are we seeking to rescue? As we talked this morning... We understand that this is a dark world. There are lots of sinful things going on around us. So we can't simply cover our eyes or plug our ears and pretend not to see because there are plenty of folks and plenty of people that we can rescue, that we can help. By doing what? Well, by pointing them to Jesus' purpose and what he was doing and what he was after. And I think this song kind of asks us to consider that. That should be what we are after. And hopefully we remember that as we sing it. Number two this evening. I believe this song reminds us that no one is unsavable. I don't know that that's a word, but we'll throw it in there anyways. No one is unsavable. Now, it's interesting that this lesson, I had not planned to do this tonight until earlier in the week and did some shuffling of lessons. And so coming after the lesson that we talked about this morning including Norma McCorvey and the idea of abortion and Roe versus Wade and someone who might could make a change. No one is unsavable. Who are we talking about in this song? Rescue the perishing, the perishing. Care for the dying. If you had your book open there, I'll reference the song sometimes. If you don't have your book open, that's perfectly fine. But the second verse uh, talks about though they are sliding him. There are people who are turning their back on Jesus, who are sliding him, giving him the cold sh- shoulder, ignoring that there might be a God in heaven or a Savior. That is who we are trying to reach. That is who we are after. There may be no better verse that explains that to us than 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You're familiar with the listing here, even if you maybe can't quote it as, uh, as I can't either. Excuse me off the top of my head, but we'll turn there with you. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. I firmly believe that Paul could have by inspiration taken up an entire book or an entire letter listing the, listing the sinful ways of people. I mean, he takes a snapshot there of some, but he could have listed all of the things that we could get involved in. That's a pretty 
pretty interesting list there. Uh, a pretty serious list of sins, fornicators, homosexuals, uh, idolaters, thieves, all those things are listed there. And sometimes if we're not careful, we group everything. And we say, well, those who do this, uh, you know, and just, they're just too far. Uh, those who do that, well, I, I don't know that they're worth my time. I don't know that they're worth my effort. And we begin to deem people unsavable. But hopefully this song reminds us that no one is unsavable. Also as well, another passage, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verses 12 through 14. If you recall this, this is that same man that we talked about this morning as well. Saul of Tarsus, who is no longer writing under that name, no longer living that life, but now writing as the Apostle Paul, who says, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy. The grace of our Lord Jesus talked about there in verse number 14. If there is anyone who is unsavable, it certainly was the, the Apostle Paul, or as he was then, Saul of Tarsus. We talked this morning about how all can be saved. I didn't write it on the screen tonight, but 2 Peter 3, 9, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do we truly live that way? It's tough sometimes. There's a lot of sinful people, a lot of people who just blatantly speak against the word of God, who just without a care in the world will tear down, will use God's name, take God's name in vain and do all of these things. The things we watch on television, we hear on music, we just can't believe that people would talk that way anymore and that people would say that. There's lots of people who would live a lifestyle that it would be real easy to write them off. But hopefully this song reminds us that there are people who are perishing there are people who are dying. There are people who are sliding him. But it's still our purpose, our goal, to try to reach them, to rescue them, to care for them. Because we understand that it is Jesus who will save. That's tough sometimes for us in today's society. We like to be the judge, jury, and executioner. We like to pass judgment on everyone else. And certainly there are sinful people who need to change their lives. But we must realize that no matter how far our family members are sometimes or how far our friends are, we need to continue, even in just the slightest of ways, to shed, to shed light on a situation, to be the light and the salt to those that we come in contact with because you never know. And again, some of you may know, you may have that story in your life of someone that you thought would never, ever set foot back in a church building again or ever, ever repent of their sins, and they did. So hopefully we consider that even as we sing this song. And then number three tonight, this song reminds us of how to rescue the perishing. That seems kind of a silly statement considering the song and everything, but, but go with me a little bit further and let's think about this song a little bit more under this point. Here are some of the words that are used. In verse number one, we talk about care, care for the dying. We talk about lifting, lift up the fallen. At the end of verse number one, tell them of Jesus. And then in verse number two, plead, plead with them earnestly. Number three, wakened by kindness, that these folks might be wakened by kindness. And then again, excuse me, even at the end of verse number four, tell again the poor wanderer, our Savior has died. How do we rescue the perishing? Well, we do these simple things. 
We tell them about the Savior, about the Savior who is merciful, the Savior who will save. We care. We show kindness. We plead with them even at times. And again, some of you may have been there as well as you consider these things. And yes, as we talked a few moments ago, we meet the physical needs sometimes. Uh, we've tried to update you already several times on the good that has come out of uh, the community day that we did here uh, back at the end of November. Uh, some of the things that have been able to happen, Missy is continuing to get calls from Gino and others in the community, the commissioners and, and other folks who are involved that say, hey, we've got a family in need. Would you help? Some of you know, I think it was not this last Thursday, but maybe the Thursday before, uh, Thursday night, Friday morning, there was a fire, you know, nearby here and a family lost its house. Missy, somebody got in touch with Missy. They were able to bring the family down here, allow them to look through, you know, some of the things that we had, play with the kids for a little while. They had talked about coming on Wednesday night, this past Wednesday night, and I don't believe they came. But, but that's the kind of thing that we hope to do in a physical sense within, yes, hoping to go to have the opportunity to meet their spiritual needs as well. When we think about rescue, the perishing, ultimately it comes from sharing the gospel. Because we can buy food, we can buy clothes, and we should, and we do, as we try to do that around here. But ultimately it comes from sharing the gospel. We think about, of course, the Great Commission there in Matthew chapter 8 and verses 18 through 20, that we go into all the world, beginning in Saudi Daisy, beginning right here on our very streets, and then going out from there. Meeting physical needs, but ultimately sharing the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 3 and 4, Paul talks about what the gospel is. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul says, For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, we've talked about this some if you've been with us on Wednesday night here in the auditorium. We're taking a general overview of the Bible. When you do that, you realize that, that sometimes things make sense. Sometimes they begin to paint a picture that God knows what he's talking about. And he does. He's God. But the idea that, that going into the water, being baptized, fully immersed, that's just not something that the preacher made up. Or the elders made up, but when it connects to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it makes some sense that we would be willing to do that, that we would be obedient and follow the commands to do that. When we think about rescuing the perishing, hopefully we have an opportunity to show kindness, to care, and through that, then tell. Tell the good news of Jesus. Uh, it's uncomfortable at times. I was sharing with Travis earlier uh, something I'd read on Facebook even last night, I think it was, or, or early this morning about a preacher who said, you know, he was talking about, you know, being a preacher and the struggles sometimes. And he said, you know, I know when someone says, hey, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm a preacher. You know, people kind of instantly jump back and think, you know, well, he's just going to try to baptize me. You know, he just wants to try to talk to me. And I, I mean, yeah, there's some truth behind that. And it's kind of funny to think about, but I said, you know, I kind of identify with that. That, yeah, when people hear that, they instantly kind of maybe keep you at an arm's distance because they're not sure. And they don't want you to force anything upon them. And they're, they're not sure about anything. And they've got some different ideas. But we just have to keep coming back to this fact that there is a Savior who died. There is a Savior who is merciful and he will save. As we conclude our thoughts tonight, I, I thought about this question. What a daunting task. To, it can seem like to sing this song to rescue someone 
to save. But the beautiful part of singing this song as Christians, as all of us together tonight, using our voices together to sing to God and to sing this song to one another and think about the encouragement here is, it doesn't take years of training. Think about a person who is an EMT or a person who can do CPR. You got to go sit through the class. You got to put the time in. To be a person who can rescue the lost, who can rescue the perishing, all you really have to do is have done it yourself. I mean, a person who tonight would be baptized for the remission of their sins could walk out the door and drive down the road to Burger King or anywhere and stop and tell someone exactly what they just did. It's as simple as that. It doesn't have to take years of training. Does it help when you've got tracts and pamphlets in front of you? Does it take when you've got a Bible study? Does it, does it help when you know that you've got the verses memorized and committed and all that? It may help, but you're not impressing anybody. They're not being baptized in your name or just because what you've told them to do. They're going back to the Savior. They're going back to Jesus. So it does seem like a bit of a daunting task in a sense. But at the same time, we have to remind ourselves of who is merciful and who is the one who saves. Who are we pointing the way back to? Fanny J. Crosby said this as well. You can't save a man by telling him of his sins. He knows them already. Tell him there is pardon and love waiting for him and make him understand you believe in him and never give up. It's as simple as that. When we sing this song together, I hope we mean it. I hope we understand exactly the task that is in front of us. It is the same task that Jesus was about. And as he said, he's about his father's business. We should be the same, doing the same thing, going about our Savior's business. And we can. We can do it by meeting needs both physically and certainly, absolutely, spiritually. The other thing that I thought about as I was reading through this song again this week, and we conclude our thoughts here tonight and extend the Lord's invitation is, who is he waiting for? Who is he waiting for? The song says he is waiting for the penitent child to receive. That's who Jesus is waiting for. Would you be that penitent child tonight? Repentant. Repenting of your sins. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian and you need to do that. Maybe you need to repent of the sins that are in your life and come to him to be baptized for the remission of those sins. The forgiveness. We struggle with forgiving sometimes and forgetting, but Jesus says the, the slate will be clean. Would you be the penitent child tonight? He's still waiting. Would you be the penitent child tonight who is a child of God but simply needs to come back to him? He is still waiting. He is merciful. He saves. He has the power. But for us, it takes a step on our part. And whether you need to become a Christian or come back to him, we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand and as we sing.